Welcome in to the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Mike Meltzer. He is Jay Kaplan. And things are obviously all happening very quickly over the course of this shortened 60-game season. Jake, we are a week away, right, from the trade deadline this season. Yeah, kind of crazy. They haven't even reached the midway point of the regular season, or at least the Astros have, and I think some teams have, and they're already in crunch time for trade season, although... As we've kind of talked about a little bit on the show in previous episodes, I don't think it's going to be a trade deadline like where we, we've we uh, grown accustomed to knowing trade deadlines. It's going to be very different um, for various factors. But, um, you know, yeah, it's still going to be interesting and there's still going to be moves as we saw Friday night with the Red Sox and Phillies making a move involving some pitching. So there are, the sense is that there are going to be moves, but it's not going to be seismic deadline deals like we saw last year with Zach Greinke locally in Houston, right? Like we're, we're going to see a bunch of transactions over the course of the next seven days, but they're probably not going to involve a ton of big name players. Probably not, but but you never know, um, especially if it's a, control, a controllable player. Um there could be a surprise, but I'm not expecting any blockbuster trades. I mean, I, I don't know if there was any blockbuster trades that weren't Grinky related last year, right? Um, I feel like in general there are fewer these days. Although I guess you could argue, I don't know, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a blockbuster, but big names being traded last deadline: Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman, right? But yeah, those are pretty big. But yeah, I mean, I just think given. I think the biggest factor might be the expanded playoffs. You know, you, you have a bunch more teams in the race. Um, and also, you have one one extra layer to get through in the playoffs. So, no one, you know, in the past, when we were looking at the trade deadline, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees, some of these teams were looking at, like, World Series odds of, like, 25% or, <laughs> yeah. or 20%. And now, like, the best World Series odds... Uh, for the Dodgers is like 17% on fan graphs, but everyone else is like five, seven, eight percent Like even if you make a move um, because of the expanded field, you're not going to really better your chances by a significant margin. I would love to know what's happening in some of these front offices as analytically driven as baseball is when they try to handicap these different three-game series in the first round, especially accounting for no home field advantage throughout the postseason. Uh, I would love to know just how this playoff format affects a team's chances and what they think of their chances to win the World Series because it just seems like a pretty big crapshoot, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was already a crapshoot. It was, uh, yeah. The Nationals won the World Series last year after being a wildcard team. Um but now it's going to be even more of a crapshoot. Plus, you don't know for sure that the season is going to finish. Um, things are looking pretty good, although I think Tuesday might be the first day in a while that all 30 teams are playing on the same day. But relatively speaking, there ha- it's gone better than I expected in yeah. terms of like getting through the season. Um, you know, there have been a couple outbreaks, but probably less than than you might expect. I think the protocols have largely, you know, been successful. Um, so you still have to worry about that, but but maybe less so than you would have a few weeks ago. I, I think also just like 
you just don't know how much any of these moves are going to help you while they might hurt you down the road when the seasons are, are back to full full length. And um, I just I think front offices in this day and age are pretty averse to taking risks in general. And, yep. you know, just because all of their odds are worse this year, I, th- I think you're going to see less of them. Um, take take big big leaps on the trade market. I think the Phillies were an interesting example on Friday of the opposite because, you know, in a way their GM's fighting for his job and you have some cases like that where there's a little more desperation um, and, you know, you have GMs who just, you know, it's like survival mode, right? And you want to keep the team afloat. But for most of these teams, um, you know, they're sitting in pretty good position in the AL, like, it's kind of weird to say, but you could argue the rest of the year is just for seeding. Yeah, you um, could. Like, you have the Yankees and the Rays, you have the Twins, the White Sox, and the Indians, and you have the Athletics and the Astros. Like, I guess the Blue Jays would be that eighth team right now, and, and maybe they're the only team that's really playing for to cement that. But the rest of them, like, I don't want to say they're guaranteed, but, like, they kind of are. Like, the, it's yeah, if they kind just- of weird. It's kind of weird. It is kind of weird. This would be a totally different discussion if we were doing a podcast for a National League team because you look at their divisions and the East is separated by only four games. Uh, the Central has four teams in the mix. The Pirates are dead. And then in the West, you've got, you know, you could argue that Arizona is dead and the Giants weren't expected to contend, so they probably will fall away at some point here. But the National League, like, they don't have many teams that are out, right? Whereas the American League, you mentioned it. You can look right now, and it's arguably a little bit surprising, but I think there's been a pretty good degree of, uh, I guess, stratification after almost you know 25 to 28 games, depending on who you are, 25 to 29 games. Like, I'm looking at it right now, and you can argue the only spot that would be up for grabs would be, the only playoff spot would be if Baltimore can somehow keep this up, can they steal this away from Toronto? Unlikely. Uh, no. Or and then they're going to sell. So. Yeah, and they're going to sell. <laughs> and the, or one of the West teams, you know, can they put up a fight against the Astros like the Rangers? Uh, but that's really about it. I mean, otherwise, you could absolutely make the argument, Jacob, as you were, that these playoff spots are pretty set in the American League. The Rangers stink. I was wrong on the Rangers. Well, so was I, I, I so far. Be, yes. I thought they'd be better. They're ten and seventeen. Yeah, they're. I think they lost eight in the Mariners. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a bad week. I like. They don't like grand the, slams. <laughs> the like, Fangraphs as we speak has the Astros' chance to make the playoffs at ninety five point one, and. The next best in the AL West is eight point two. That's the Angels, who are nine and twenty. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it's kind of the A's and the Astros, and there's no other scenario I could see happening where a third team makes it or overtakes the Astros in the division. Um. So yeah, you're kind of just looking at these eight teams. Um. I I I don't see the Orioles or the Red Sox overtaking the Blue Jays as the third place team. Agreed. And I I don't see the Royals or the Tigers overtaking the Indians or the White Sox. Uh, so it's kind of it's it's very weird because it, we're at the halfway point and you already know the eight teams 
and it's just a matter of who's going to play who in the first round, basically. Well, let's get one thing, I, I think, situated real quick. The Astros are not sellers at the trade deadline, as I've seen some people speculate about the last couple weeks with the slow start to the season. Obviously got better despite the sweep at the hands of the Padres over the weekend. There's no conceivable way that they're selling anything at this te- deadline. Uh, I still think that their ultimate goal is to try and find some way to win the American League, even though I think that's pretty doubtful at this stage. I think they would need a lot to go right, especially with the return of some injuries, but they will get guys back. You know, Alex Bregman might, it might take two and a half, three weeks as we found out this weekend, and we'll talk about here, but he's going to be back at some point. Uh, Verlander, we shall see. They'll get some more arms in the bullpen, and they're clearly at least the second best, the second best team in their division. They are not selling at the deadline. They are not trading George Springer, Springer at the deadline. If anything, they will add one or two pieces at the deadline. Period. Yeah, and I think that narrative kind of died with the eight-game winning streak, right? I think that was um, maybe an overreaction to their poor start um, before that, but. Yeah, I mean, why would they sell? Like, <laughs> the point is is to get into the playoffs, and yep. getting into the playoffs gives you a chance to win a World Series, and they are firmly in playoff position. So, um, plus, they're not exactly in a place where it's going to be better a year from now. Like, they're this is as we've spoken about ad nauseum, and not for a while, I guess, but back early in the show's history about how this felt like kind of the last hurrah in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, this year and next year, at least, um, because of all the impending free agents uh, coming up. So, yeah, they're definitely buyers. It's just an extent of to what it's just a, a matter of to what extent. Um, I, I wrote on Monday morning on The Athletic that bullpen is should be their priority, um, especially because it's the easiest thing to acquire uh, at a trade deadline. But, you know, we've talked about it a little bit with Ryan Presley not getting as many swings and misses, and then you have a bunch of inexperienced rookies in front of them, they could really use another high-leverage arm to kind of uh, just fortify the back end a little bit more. I I agree with you uh, on that point. I, I look at where this team is, and you can always try to add a starting pitcher, especially with the way Brandon Belak looked this weekend, just completely blowing up in the Saturday loss to San Diego. But... I think it's going to be hard to really add a starter that is going to be, as you wrote about in your piece, it's going to be hard to add a starting pitcher who really provides you a ton of value. You're basically, at this point, it seems like you'd just be adding a guy or maybe a name, but not anybody who, who tangibly makes the rotation any better. If they add a reliever or two, it's a guarantee that those guys are at least going to be used. And... Mm-hmm. I think in some ways the bullpen has actually been better than we thought considering how many innings have been devoted to to rookie pitchers. But when you think about their best relievers, Blake Taylor, Ryan Presley, Anoli Paredes, maybe Andre Scrub, it's pretty clear like they're going to need to add to that to be able to get big outs in the postseason in a best of three. Like They're going to need more than just that to be able to get through those kind of games and win. Yeah, definitely. And... Yeah, like I guess I kind of view the the core of the bullpen right now. Yeah, what's Presley, what's the core to you? Presley, um, Taylor, those are kind of the two guys, right? Presley and Taylor, and then you have like the next tier as being like Paredes, Rayleigh, and Scrub. Um, you know, they 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 should at some point get back Brad Peacock. Um, if he's good, if he's like normal Brad Peacock. 
you could add him to that mix. Um, but I think you have to see that first. And then, you know, the rest are kind of just like guys to fill out a bullpen, right? Yep. The, the Davinsky, Biagini, Sneeds of the world. So, um, you know, if, if they, in a, in a playoff series, they could use Javier or Belak in a bullpen scenario also. But um, I just think they need one more like power arm um, to pair with Presley and Taylor. Doesn't matter what's what hand in this, but just someone another option there to face yes the, the best hitters on the other team yeah my only quibble would be despite giving up the homer to machado on sunday i've actually been really impressed by paredes so i'd put him in, in the first three but it's pretty it's pretty clear like you need some kind of fourth guy especially because even though i've been impressed by anoli it's not like he and blake taylor are guys who've been able to do this for a couple of years and ryan presley is being asked to, to be in a role that he hasn't really been in over his career plus He's not quite pitching as effectively as we've discussed as he was last season or when he first got to Houston. And so, mm-hmm. like, you just need somebody. You need another You need another option that you're pretty confident in. Because right now, if I'm Dusty Baker, and I'm trying to preserve a lead, Anoli, fine. Blake Taylor, fine. Ryan Presley, I have to be comfortable with. You know, past that, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sweating out every single at bat. I think Brooks Raley's been a nice addition, but like, I mean, that's not, I mean, it's not like he's, uh, you know, Jeff Nelson or somebody like that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's that's the guy you picked up basically, basically of the scrap heap, essentially, a guy who's pitching what in Japan the last couple of years. They need realistically another arm and probably two arms and hopefully the way it gets done is peacock gets back and he's much more effective and they can add somebody within the next seven days but yeah i'm probably saying way too much to say i i'm confident in about three of their relievers even in big moments but they need another option for dusty mike let's take a quick break here for a word from our sponsors today's show is sponsored by manscaped which has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver deodorant and the Crop Reviver toning spray. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of the best parts of the collection. They have optimal temperature control with their crop tooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. And now, back to the show. Yeah, if you really, it's weird to think about, but like, Anoli Paredes started last year in high A, finished it in, injured in double A. Yep. Uh, Brooks Raley, I think, spent the last five years in Korea. Um, I, I got it wrong. My bad. Blake Blake Taylor had better barely pitched above Double A, and Andre Scrub hadn't pitched above Double A. Um, these are your guys. Yeah, these and are the Scrub, guys. Scrub Andre Scrub has been like I know 
Brent Strom loves his curveball as he as he tends to love. Uh, it's a good curveball. Curve, big curveballs, but a lot of action on it. Twelve walks and and six hits, and I think one one intentional walk too. And somehow he hasn't given up a run. That's not really sustainable <laughs> though. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, so. I was looking through just some like of the sellers or or teams we expect to sell. Again, it's not a normal trade deadline, but a few arms I came up with. Uh, one who I think would be a good fit is Trevor Rosenthal from the Royals, who was awful for the Nationals last year. I think he got DFA'd and then has really bounced back this year for the Royals on a minor league deal. He's throwing hard. He's um, striking guys out. He's not walking guys. Um, obviously, it's for the Royals, so it's not like how you would simulate an October baseball game, but he has pitched in October before. Um you know, he is experienced. He throws a four-seam fastball, which the Astros, that's their preferred style. He has a, a power slider. So I think he, he wouldn't cost much in salary because he was on a minor league deal. So, um, you know, he might be highly sought after around the league. So that that might up the price in terms of prospect uh, capital that you're giving up. But he, he was one arm who's a rental. And then two that aren't rentals that I came up with um, – Michael Givens from the Orioles and Matt Barnes from the Red Sox. Uh, each of them is under control through 2021. Who do the Astros have to give up in trades at this point? Because it, it feels like they've almost gone gone through and exhausted all their prospects, minus four Whitley, who's been hurt. Like who who can who can they trade at this point that would provide value to somebody else, Jake? I think there's plenty of guys. I mean, they they have a lot of um, prospects that are like the the opinions on them very wildly like okay. you could talk to uh like one team might have a be really high on a guy and another team might be really low on the same guy um and so i think like you have to catch that team that likes a certain guy and and match up with them but they they still have plenty of of trade chips down there um there's, there's, you know, Whitley's their only consensus top 100 prospect, but, you know, especially if you're trading for a reliever, there's plenty of uh, non-top 100 guys who still have value in the trade market. And we should note that um, because of the weird season, technically, you can only trade players in the player pool, in the 60-man player pool. But as we've seen with the Astros trade for Brooks Raley and the Astros trade for Hector Velasquez, you can get around that by just saying player to be named later. So, um, so I can, expect we'll see a lot of that. Okay, so they can they can they can essentially trade anybody. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the names that you mentioned. I diverted us a little bit uh, with my question about the prospects. You mentioned Trevor Rosenthal and you mentioned Matt Barnes. I, I'm fine with either one. Rosenthal has been a, obviously a closer in the past. He's had a weird career the last couple of years, as you mentioned. Um, Barnes, he played with Springer at UConn, right? Do I have that correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember that from the the local TV loves to make a big deal about these like weird personal relationships. Um, it's very special. It's very spe- <laughs> it's very special. I mean, he, he's I know he's always been a guy who throws really hard. He has not been nearly as effective this season. So I I would be curious what their scouts think of what's gone wrong with him this season. I'm fine with uh, with that addition. I'm always I'm always uh, I always I always prefer to trade for guys where I have 
a little bit more control than just the rest of this season if I can find a way to swing it. But those two names, they sound like they would be credible additions. I have to admit, Givens, I don't know much about. But Rosenthal and Barnes, as long as they have some explanation for why Barnes has not gotten off to a good start with Boston this season, then I could live with those additions. I am not highly against them. Michael Givens is a 30-year-old right-hander um, who is listed at six feet, so, you know, shorter, which the Astros have been fine with over the years. Um, he's thrown 11 and two-thirds innings this year and given up one run with 16 strikeouts and six walks. Okay. So he's, he's off to a really strong start for the Baltimore Orioles, and he is from, not that this matters um, really, but he's from the same high school as Kyle Tucker. In Tampa, uh, former second-round pick. So the local TV will really want them to add Michael Givens so they can run a package on that. Yeah, they're <laughs> seven years apart in age, but I'm sure they're best friends. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so Givens, he's, he's, he's always seems like he pops up in rumors here and there because he's on the Orioles, and they really should trade him. Um, he's good, but... They haven't yet, and um, I think he would be a, a good fit. I mean, it's – and you know that Mike Elias from the Orioles knows the Astros system pretty well, mm-hmm. um, which might make it harder to trade, right? Because he, he, he knows, knows the strengths the, and weaknesses. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Givens is a good name, and there's going to be other names too. It's just the problem is a lot of these sellers don't have good players, right? Like, Yep. <laughs> um Especially when you when you narrow down the list of, of teams that aren't in the playoff mix to like basically just the rebuilding teams, um, plus a couple other underachievers, like they just don't have that many good players. And and the Red Sox had Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree, but they've already traded them. Yeah, that would have been if we had done this podcast, you know, five days or a week ago. That would have been an area to point to because the Red Sox are clearly sellers based on everything they've done the last six months. And those guys were two viable options uh, for the Astros until they weren't. One thing I was thinking about this weekend, Jake, and getting ready for this episode is because people might be listening and thinking, well, they lost Jordan Alvarez. Why not add a bat? And I was just thinking, just going across the diamond, I think it's going to be really hard for the Astros to improve their offense. Because if you go kind of position by position, they're not getting better at first base. They're not getting better at second. They're not getting better, better at short. They have a big hole at third, but Bregman's going to come back. And then you go in the outfield, and it's Michael Brantley and George Springer and then Josh Reddick. Now, you can, you can improve off Reddick theoretically, but that's not going to necessarily be all that easy to do. They're probably not going to, like, catcher, they're not, they're not going to bring in some big-time catcher here. Maybe you can find a way to get a better second one from a hitting standpoint, I suppose. Uh, the only spot they could really improve in, I guess, would be right field or DH, but then that would cause them to not play Kyle Tucker nearly as much. And I just don't think if you go across the diamond, so to speak, there's an easy way for them to improve from a hitting standpoint. I completely agree. Um, the really the way for them to improve is for George Springer and Jose Altuve to hit like George Springer and Jose Altuve, and for yes. you know Correa, Gurriel, Bregman, all those guys, their core guys, Brantley, to perform up to expectations, right? Like that's yep, that's what's going to make the difference in in how far this team goes in October. Um, you know, if they add an eight hole hitter, it's not really going to matter, I don't think. Um, and you're right, like. 
Right now, once Brantley is back to playing left field, the DH projects to be Kyle Tucker and Aledmus Diaz once Diaz returns. And, um, you know, Tucker's now on a tear. He's he's he's, offic- he's officially <laughs> has an above average OPS for the yeah, season. He's slugging 490 right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, you could maybe argue that acquiring a bat of which there don't seem to be many available either. I mean, unless like Kevin Pillar does it for you. Um, <laughs> he does not. Um, that would allow them to play only one of Tucker and Reddick on a given basis. But like, I don't know if that's really an upgrade. Um, Reddick's been above average this year too. So I, I really think that personnel wise, maybe they could tinker on the bench somehow. Cause you know, Toro doesn't seem to be, uh, I don't know if he's not ready or, or just struggling, but he's, he has, he, he has not been good this season. Just um, not been good. Yeah. But like Taylor Jones has shown flashes. I don't, I really don't think there's a ton to do on the offensive side. Yep. Um, I mean, you wrote about this. They, they just need to have their main guys hit better, especially Springer, who has not had a great season, especially Altuve, who has certainly sh- shown a lot of signs of life despite an over four on Sunday. You know, he looks like his at-bats are getting far, far better. So that's nice to see. Uh, but they're just in a situation where it's not going to be easy to upgrade the offense. That's the bottom line. Yeah. None of their hitters have been, I guess you could argue Bregman has been, but like none of their hitters have been like elite through a half the half at the midway point. That's a good way to put it. I think Correa and Guriel have had good seasons, just objectively good across yeah. the board. But they but if we were, you know, if you were doing all-star teams, they wouldn't necessarily be I mean, I don't know, Correa might be, but you're right. They have not been elite performers at their position. I agree with like you. Like if you look at the war leaders in baseball, like yep. I don't think you're going to see an Astro, maybe Grenke, but like on the position player side, you're not um you're not really going to see too many Astros represented. So I, I think they just need their core guys to play better and yes. to get healthy. And uh, if that happens, you know, in a short series with, with the caliber of hitters they have, you know, who knows what will happen. But, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, with the catcher, I, mean, I guess you could argue a backup catcher, but, like, how much does that really matter when Dusty Baker's playing Maldonado every day? <laughs> and Maldonado's played really well. And, yeah, he's you know, a good job. You watch him; he seems like he really um, has worked well and, and with the young pitchers, and really like takes charge. Like it's fun to watch him with the, a mound visit with like these young guys. I don't know; you just see him like not to like boss them around, but like he just like goes up there and like tells them what they're gonna throw. You know? Yeah. Here's how it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you need that with a young staff. So I agree. yeah, I, I think it has to be pitching focused this week. For, for James Click in that Houston front office. Um, you know, I don't think there's a ton of starters out there. You know, maybe Kevin Gosman from the Giants. But um, you could argue that I think any team would, would like an extra starter, right? Um, but those will cost more. And like you said earlier, like the reliever thing, when you project for October, it just seems to be the area of more desperation than it does, at least on paper, than it does uh, on the starting front where you have Greinke, Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers, Christian Javier, and then there's the wild card of like Verlander, who's still just now playing catch, so it's still very much TBD whether he can be successful in coming back this year, but that wild card is still kind of looming out there too. We'll get right back to the show after this quick break. I'm in a weird place with Verlander because I almost don't want to even think it's a possibility that he actually comes back and is close to himself. But it is a possibility that exists. 
One thing I'm wondering about, Jake, like with the Verlander return, should I mentally have it as, okay, Verlander can return and like pitch six or seven innings? Like, does he have, like, assuming he finds a way to, to get healthy, which is obviously a big, big if. But if he does, like, can he be in that role? Is there enough time to ramp him up to do that? I don't know, because, you know, there's only a month till the playoffs at this point, and he's still just yep. playing catch. At least as of the middle of last week, he was still just playing catch. Um, I don't know. I, I think they have to kind of view anything they get from him through the rest of this year and the playoffs as a bonus. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been ruled out. So, like, I, I think, you know, until something changes or if something changes, like, that's still a possibility that's out there, even if it's um, still seems kind of distant, right? Because he, he is only playing catch. Yeah, it feels a little bit distant. Part of it is, is I just don't want to sort of like get my own hopes up and to get to see him out there. So we'll probably have mu- far more updates on Verlander in the next, you know, two to three weeks or so to see where that's trending. As far as the rotation overall, Granky, I'm obviously good with. Um, then drop off McCullers, who, you know, is inconsistent. I think that's a very fair thing to say at this point. Um, Framber Valdez has had a really strong season. With Fromber, I'm still always wondering, like, is is he gonna is is him falling off a cliff just like around the other bend, if you will? Um, Javier, I like, um, but he's also a guy who he seems to kind of get by on not guile and deception, but that's a big part of his game. He's been he's been really good against righties so mm-hmm. far this season. You wrote you wrote about that. Um, I I still want to see more of of Javier, especially as he starts facing the same teams over and over again. And I'm not entirely sure what to do with Belak's start on Sunday. It was just such a catastrophe. It seemed like he couldn't locate the fastball. He he hung a couple of breaking balls, and they did, and th- I think that's the wrong team to have that happen against because that Padres team is a that's a big time baseball team to me. Like they they remind me of what the Astros were in 2015 and 2016. So that seemed like a pretty bad matchup for Belak specifically. But I don't want to overreact off of one bad performance, especially from a from a young rookie pitcher. Yeah, I agree. We'll see what he does Thursday against the Angels, um, and then I guess his next start after that would be I don't know who do they play after the A's? Is it the Angels again? Um, I had my schedule pulled up, but I, I, I was hold ran- on. One second, the Rangers. The, they haven't played the Rangers yet. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is weird. You're going to see a lot of the Rangers in September. So yeah. if the Rangers are indeed this bad, then that would bode very well for it's the 10 Astros. Games. 10 games yeah. in September. That's crazy. Yeah. That's one um, third of your uh, September <laughs> schedule, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Padres are fun. I, they're, uh, they are fun. They are very 2015 Astros-like. Um, Tatis is incredible to watch. He um, really is. Just like a, he's just like the best just, athlete on the field I've seen in a while. He's just really good, and it's just it's like whatever he's whatever's thrown at him, he just like you know dumps into center field or hits a home run. It's it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I don't think we can overreact to one Brandon Belak star. I keep forgetting, and I don't even think I mentioned him in my story uh, on Monday about Jose Arquiti. Um I don't know if I'm kind of in like wait and see mode with him. I guess I am. Um, he should be back relatively soon, but you don't know exactly what you're going to get after this long of a layoff. Good um, point. 
we probably we probably should have mentioned him, especially with our bullpen discussion, because he's at the very least going to be a real legitimate option for them, especially in sort of a. I'm not using this as like a term of art, but like sort of a piggyback role, like a in one case, time through the order, like yeah, like fourth in, through sixth inning kind of guy. Exactly. Yeah. If if you're starting, like let's say they got to the point where they had to start, let's say a Javier in a mm. game four against somebody, just hypothetically, like I'd make sure to have someone like Jose Urquidy, not somebody, Jose Urquidy at the <laughs> ready to be able to come in and bridge the gap in the middle innings in that kind of scenario. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about him. But he, you know, if he's the good Jose Urquidy, then that would be a big plus for them. Um, so yeah, definitely factor him in as well. I don't know exactly when he'll be, he'll be back. At all the timelines for these Corpus Christi rehabbers are kind of, Seem like they're in limbo now because Corpus Christi had to shut down over the weekend for because they had a positive test down there and then they yep. had to isolate everyone and do contact tracing. So it's unclear how that's going to affect the returns for Diaz, for Okiti, for Peacock, for Davinsky, all of whom seemed pretty close. Um, hopefully we learn more about that this week. But yeah, I think um, Urquidy is another name to add to the mix for sure. But Again, like with a lot of these guys, you can't really count on it. You just have to kind of not take it as a bonus in his case, but he's still he's still a rookie. You don't know exactly what you're going to get with Urquidy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Astros would be in a great spot if Javier can settle down and Valdez can continue his success. Like that would be a real boon because then the only question mark for them would be who the fifth starter is at least for the next five to six weeks. And then how do they sort of patch together and organize their bullpen? So seeing what happens with those two guys, I think will be very interesting. Um, it feels like also we talk about fourth starters in playoff situations more than they're actually needed, right? Like it seems like you, you kind of need three and then like a half of one almost. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's fair. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, 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 I was trying to look up the, the exact playoff schedule, like, because you're not going to be able to, I don't, I don't think, pitch Zach Granke in, in game four after pitching, let's say, in game one. Um, but yeah, you're you're objectively right in that sometimes you'll have a start that you have to sort of like piece together. But other times it, it might kill you. Like, you know, the Yankees last year in game six of the ALCS, right, where they have to start an opener and they they arguably lose the game because of that very fact. So you never know. But the Astros started Brad Peacock in that game, right? Like it's, it's, That is a good point, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I think what really helps the Astros project for October is that Zach Greinke is pitching like an ace, um, which we coming into the year was one of our questions, right? Yep, we weren't um, sure about. He wasn't that good for them until the World Series last year. Um, and I think Framber Valdez, his improvements are for real. I still think there's going to be some regression there because of the hard contact rate, but uh, he's been good. And McCullers, I think, has a lot of room for um, better results. I think his stuff in flashes has been good and, and, and others hasn't been as effective. But I think that's like a pretty good top three um, if Verlander can't make it back. Um, that that sets them up well Um you know, even before the trade deadline. So I, I think, you know, in a way, like the, the, the fact that Grinky is pitching as well as he is, um, it just lessens the kind of desperation mode for another starter. I completely agree. I've been very pleasantly surprised by the way Grinky has looked this season. And assuming that the Astros make the playoffs, like he, 
I have zero issue with him, obviously, starting game one, especially depending on what happens with Justin Verlander the rest of the way. They got swept by the Padres this weekend. This series concerned me. I wasn't super confident going in. Uh, the offense basically fell off a cliff, um, particularly in the Sunday game when they scored three runs, then disappeared. Uh, Friday, I don't have a clue as to why Abraham Toro was hitting in the ninth inning instead of Yuli Gurriel with a guy on uh with a guy on base, but you know I'm not a I'm not a big league manager. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, uh, I I just think the Padres are better, and the Astros bats just didn't really show up. And then Belak got crushed on Saturday. We found out Jake over the weekend that Alex Bregman that you know we we probably did a poor job of downplaying his injury on Thursday, but we we just didn't really know. Um, that's going to be a three-week injury based on what James Click uh, said on Astros Radio on Sunday morning. So backdating that from where we are now, that's going to be at least two and a half weeks. Uh, he's their best player, obviously, and they're going to need him back in the lineup. And I think they're kind of – they're probably in, in a bit of a sort of a survival mode until he gets back and they start getting some more reinforcements. Yeah, I it- – it's not super surprising, but you're right. We didn't really have a good feel for it on Thursday um, because he hadn't even been placed in the IL yet when we spoke. Yep. Um, he was placed in the IL. This was the right hamstring has been an issue in the past. He had he strained it late in 2016. That cost him about two weeks, a little under two weeks uh, at the end of his rookie year. Um, you know, it seems like this one, based on what James Click said, will will take slightly longer than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they kind of just have to piecemeal it, you know, till he gets back. I, I think I don't know how much Yuli Gurriel has practiced over at third base lately, but I I think there's a case that they should yeah try him try him over there and play Taylor Jones at first base. Um, I don't know if there's a bigger Taylor Jones fan out there than you are, but <laughs> but your, your point your your point though is well taken. Because I mean, he's Toro's clearly- hitting like like he's like a, he's on an automatic out, but he's been pretty close to it. Yeah, if I see another. Abraham Toro like roll a pitch over to first base. <laughs> that's that's what I feel like I'm constantly seeing. And the weird thing is that Dusty Baker seems like, seems like such a big fan of his, which makes it even weirder to be watching these games and to know that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could try Jack Mayfield over there. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think they have to try something else. Um, you know, Diaz will be back soon, we think, and that he could play some third base. Or yeah, some, that would be nice. Or that some, would be nice to have some, his bat in the lineup, or some first base even. But yeah, I uh, they kind of have to have to have to piecemeal it together until Bregman's back, and really their top priority with Bregman should just be making sure he's a hundred percent or close to it yes. before they bring him back. Because like we mentioned earlier in the episode, like their playoff odds are safe. They're not gonna you know waiting an extra five days on Bregman to be safe isn't going to sink them. They just have to make sure he's right for October. Honestly, the biggest thing that happened for the Astros was what happened in the hours leading up to the first Yankees-Nationals game. Because if we were in a situation, Jake, where the playoff format was as it has been the last, what, five to eight years, then people would be basically living and dying on every single game. And it would be a major question mark about whether this team was actually going to make the postseason. With the expanded playoffs, that is far, far, far more likely. And it's just created a very interesting situation just across the league, period. Yeah, if it was just the normal five AL teams make the playoffs, you would talk about them selling potentially, right? Or at least yeah, considering about it. it. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely completely changed the calculus having those three extra playoff teams. And 
Yeah, it doesn't. It almost feels like back to an, a, the urge, the lack of urgency of a regular regular season, right? Well, that's that's kind of what I was worried about because my thought was like, all right, sixty game season, every game's going to matter a ton, and, and they still obviously matter a lot. Particularly, let's say if you're one of these National League teams that's that's in a heated race, but then you expand the playoffs, which makes sense from a competitive balance standpoint because you're thinking, well, you don't want to have good teams left out and awful teams that get on a, on a hot streak into the postseason. Let's kind of equalize it out. But then the problem is then you're like halfway through the season in the American League and based on where these organizations are in their trajectory, like there is seemingly only one playoff spot up for grabs, you know, a month into the season. Yeah. I mean, they expanded the playoffs. So they get more money, right? That was really Absolutely. Fine. Yes. But, um... Absolutely. My normal September of Astros coverage the last few years has been like a lot of looking ahead to the playoffs. And it seems like uh, yeah. it's going to be like that again, which, yeah, I do think the, the expanded playoffs just kind of cheapens the regular season. And they had a chance to make it truly a 60 game sprint where every game mattered to so much. And now it's kind of just like eh, more of the same that we're used to, which. I don't know. It's it's good and bad, but like I, I would have rather seen the playoffs stick to their usual format. But I, I understand why they why they didn't. Um, I'm sure we'll have opinions in the off season and looking forward when they're de- negotiating or discussing. I guess it wouldn't be till the next CBA, maybe. But there's always talk of playoff expansion, so we'll we'll probably yes. have opinions on the podcast about whatever their next move is with that after 2020. Yeah, because I, I, as as I recall, this became a talking point, Jake, in February before we all realized what a big threat COVID nineteen was going to be. There was that. There was this. I think a very similar proposal floated out by Major League Baseball where they wanted to expand the playoffs and get the first couple of seats to like pick their opponents in the in the first round. And we have kind of a modified version of that happening right now. But yeah, if the playoff format had stayed the same, I mean, the AL East would have two of the playoff teams, so they'd have the the Rays and the Yankees in some order. Uh, the t- the, obviously, whoever the first place winner in the Central was, if the Astros were in second place in the West, they'd be battling it out with you know Cleveland and the White Sox for that second wild card spot, and people would be very nervous in Houston had they kept the same format. Yeah, you could have had like a, a Yankees Astros wild card game. You could have absolutely <laughs> that <been> pretty wild. <laughs> that that would have been an <laughs> epic night for social media. I feel like like national TV, all the storylines. I think Cole people versus, would have been versus Verlander or Grinky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been yes, exactly. Yes, John Boy versus Astros Twitter. Like it just would have been. It just would have been a whole, a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the alternate universe. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's weird that the two leagues are so different right now in in terms of. Um, you know, the playoff picture, one league's had a lot more interruptions with um, yes, outbreaks, but um, and, and just cancellations, but yeah, it's it is kind of strange how that worked out that way. Um, so the Astros have what four games against the a- Angels this week, uh, and then three against the A's. Um, what are you looking for this week? What are you going to be keeping your eye on? What am I going to be he- he- keeping my eye on? Uh, can they find a way to get back to their winning ways? I think that that's that's obviously like the f- the most important thing. Um, pretty obvious analysis. I'm very curious to see the next time through uh, for Valdez and Javier. Um, and I would say from a hitting standpoint, Jose Altuve at one point was seven for fifteen. I know he went over four on Sunday. He did ground into a double play on a ball. I think that was hit like hundred miles an hour. So we got a bit the unlucky Tatis, on that. The Tatis play. 
One, yes. of the, one of the Tatis plays. <laughs> one of the Tatis plays. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I think Altuve is looking a lot better just with his quality of at-bats. And my other quick thing is Kyle Tucker. There was an at-bat that he had, I think, on Friday uh, when he drove in a run, the third run of the game, where he had an awful swing, Jake. It was the seventh or eighth inning early in the at-bat. And it was the kind of situation where I think a year or two ago, I think he would have been just dead in the at-bat. He battled back to a to a three two counts, you know, dumped a ball, I think, to center field and drove in a run. And it was just the kind of at bat that I flat out do not think that he would have been able to have two years ago when he first came up last season as well. And I don't want to overreact to a small sample size, but I think his approach trying to figure out a way to, you know, to not open up his front side. His at bats just look significantly better. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen this week as they get back home. Yeah, it's a good one. Is this just a hot streak or is this a sign of something more? Um, for me, I think it's it's still looking ahead to the weekend when they play the A's again. Um, you know, you, they've Astros, if you boil it down so far, have played three good teams, the Dodgers, the A's, and the Padres, and they're 0-8. Yep. They're 0-8. for 8. So, you know, in, in looking ahead to the October, which October uh, – field and the, and the playoffs which has kind of been the theme of this episode in a way um they have to show that they can beat good teams um so i think that you know that's what i'm looking for when you get to the weekend and it, it lines up well for them that zach Grinky um is going to pitch the the friday night game which I, be, I believe he pitched the series opener last time they played the a's too but um yeah for me it's it's all looking at that a series to see how they match up and um, if they can play better, especially hit better against these yes. these contenders. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. So again, the Astros are now at home and they're going to be at home for a while until September the 3rd. Um, so through the next week and a half or so, they have a much needed Angels- off day coming up too. They will have at some points a much needed <laughs> off day. This that that one will be more needed than the previous two because I think they're playing 17 games in a row. They're in the middle of that uh, right now. Angels obviously on Thursday. One of the things we'll discuss is the big Oakland series this weekend, and then Texas early next week. Trade deadline is a week from today. Thank you for listening. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by the Athletic.